Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast, Almost Here, Round the Corner Technology. And today I have Nathan Schneider as my guest. Um, he's a scholar in residence uh, studying platforms and platform cooperatism. Um, if I go any further, I'm not going to give him a great introduction, so I'm going to let him do it. But uh, how you doing, Nathan? Good. I'm glad to be on the show. Yeah. So if you can, um, again, tell folks who you are and what you do. Um, you know, just give a brief outline of what goes on. What are you doing? Sure. So I uh, uh, teach at the uh, University of Colorado Boulder, um, and, uh, but uh, primarily what uh, I'm involved in is this uh, idea of platform cooperativism. Uh, and, and the idea is, it's a big word, but the idea is kind of simple, uh, that what would it look like if we were to own and govern the online platforms that we uh, uh, depend on every day, the Googles, the Facebooks, the, the Ubers? Uh, uh, and this isn't just an idea or just a question. It's actually a growing movement of people around the world who are starting to build businesses that do just that, uh, especially in response to the perceived failures and frustrations of the sharing economy as people, uh, uh, you know, on the one hand got excited about, you know, sharing their cars and, and meeting strangers, but then on the other hand started getting concerned that, uh, uh, that, that uh, um, the labor standards were actually lower than the economies that had preceded them. Uh, uh, so it's, it's bringing in an old idea, actually, the old uh, tradition of cooperative enterprise, businesses that are owned and governed uh, by the people who depend upon them, and uh, exploring what this might look like in an economy that's increasingly uh, uh, running uh, over the Internet. Oh, that's, that's fascinating. So what would this, um, I mean, what's the easiest example, the simplest one? Uh, where current people are trying to advance models that are our platform cooperatism, is it in Uber and transportation, or what uh, what industry? Yeah, well, that's certainly one. There are a couple of examples that we could consider. Uh, uh, in transportation, uh, this has been growing around the United States. For instance, in Colorado, where I live now, at least on paper, the largest taxi company in the state is a worker-owned cooperative called Green Taxi. And it was formed oh. by uh, drivers who were frustrated with, on the one hand, driving with Uber and Lyft, and on the other hand, were seeing uh, their standards going down in the, um, in the established taxi companies. So they each, this is 800 almost entirely uh, immigrant workers, uh, mainly from Africa, uh, uh, who mm. put in $2,000 each to start this cooperative, totally self-funded, uh, and um, and that enables them to retain a lot more of the value that they're creating. They have their own app, uh, uh, though of course it's it's um, doesn't have quite the convenience of an international uh, uh, platform like Uber, but it's 
um, you know, they're trying to compete in that space. And we're seeing similar things happen around the country. Austin, uh, where, where Uber and Lyft just left, uh, uh, also ended up uh, creating a tax, uh, driver-owned cooperative. And, um, uh, and, and they're fashion? finding that they're able to, you know, self-finance and build these companies. I'm sorry? Oh, is that company uh, called Fasten? I think it is. Uh, no, th- this one is is called um, uh, a- I believe it's uh, 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 a- ATX uh, Taxi, uh, something like that. Um, I-, I-, I wrote it in Austin, um, and and it works pretty well. So uh, so okay. I recommend it. Um, but a- another model that's worth looking at too is less from the perspective of the kind of on the ground low wage workers, but from the perspective of the entrepreneur and and. For this, I'd point to Stocksy United, which is a stock photo platform that's owned largely by its photographers. And this was founded by, um, uh, uh, among others, a woman named Brianna Wetlaufer, who's now the CEO. And she was an executive at iStock, you know, a major kind of mainstream online platform. And she was noticing uh, this dilemma really up close that a lot of us are perceiving at a distance, which is that she was running a company that was kind of at odds with its own users. So she is a photographer, really identifies with photographers, but found that as an executive, uh, a young executive in her early 20s, actually, um, she was having to make decisions that actually worked against the interests of the photographers she was supposed to be supporting. And uh, so, so she and some colleagues with incredible knowledge in the industry, also a bit of uh, cash on hand uh, after Stocksy was bought by, uh, or iStock, excuse me, was bought by um, Getty Images. They went off and started Stocksy United uh, as a company where where there wouldn't be that uh, conflict between the investors who own the platform and the users who depend on it. Instead, they built a company where the, the users, the, the photographers, would be the owners. And, and in an incredibly um, competitive uh, market, they've been very successful because uh, through shared ownership, they've been able to attract and retain some of the best talent in the industry. So what are, what are the governance models of, for instance, like Green Taxi? You know, how does the company run and how do decisions get made? Well, it's a, it's a great question, and it varies a lot, you know. And and for this, it's worth looking at the the tradition of of cooperative enterprises offline too. You know, for instance, if you're um, living in a housing co-op, as I did once in college with 12 people, you know, all packed into a big house, um, and you're all stepping over each other and you know uh, uh, peeing outside the toilet and things like that. Um, you know, it really is important to to uh, meet once a week and spend a, an hour or two hashing out the things that affect everybody because everything everybody does affects everybody else, right? And sometimes yeah. that's the image that people have uh, for a cooperative. But on the other hand, you know, my credit union is a cooperative too. It's one of the largest mortgage lenders in the region. Um, it's it's a, a, a large, very, very, you know, well-capitalized, very stable organization. And they, you know, I'm still waiting for them to call me up uh, uh, for any input whatsoever on a decision that they're making. Um, you know, they have a board of professional staff and management that um, that run the credit union very, very well. Um, I can go to the um, to the annual meetings and learn about what's going on. Uh, uh, but for the most part, 
um, it's managed professionally. And and this varies as well in the in the platform environment. And uh, Stocksy and um, uh, and uh, Green Taxi have boards that are elected by their members. Um, Green Taxi is has open meetings in person uh, where people participate in, in making major decisions. Stocksy, because they're working with people in 70 countries, rely on their own kind of internal platform uh, to, uh, to, to, to get input from, from the users. And um, it's a beautiful platform, by the way. Uh, and, but they've also, as a tech company in a highly competitive uh, environment, they've had to also retain a lot of executive control so that um, uh, so that they're able to pivot and make decisions um, uh, as quickly as possible uh, uh, so that they can adapt and stay ahead. So it really varies as much as it does for any other kind of company. Um, the difference, the, the key difference, is that the real accountability for these companies is not ultimately to the investors who happen to have a bunch of money but may or may not have any participation in the platform itself. Their accountability is to the people uh, 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 who actually depend on the platform. So okay, you say accountability. What um, what kind of revenue share exists in these in these companies? Does it span the whole range, or is it normally different from uh, you know traditionally? Oh, I get a salary, or I get a commission type things. Yeah, it can vary again depending on what seems appropriate for um, for the kind of business that you're kind that you're trying to run, um, and there are some real advantages here. Um, in terms of in terms of the relationship with membership uh, uh, that that other companies don't have, you know, for instance, if you're running a a um, it, it, co cooperatives are kind of like the original crowdfunding, you know, except today crowdfunding is like you know you pitch in a little money and you get a kickback later on down the line. Um, uh, this is crowdfunding where the people who are pitching in are really uh, bought in as co-partners in the enterprise. Uh, uh, like the, like the drivers of, of green taxi, they all have a real stake in making sure this thing succeeds. Um, and so that's something where real deep economic participation happens with uh, with those members, with those users, a, a kind of depth of participation and relationship that a lot of online platforms today would salivate over. Now, what kind of um, returns do these people get? That really depends on the deal that's that's arranged. Uh, generally, uh, in cooperative models, uh, people get returns based on what they put in. So if you um, are, are a member of a cooperative grocery store and the store has a certain amount of profits uh, at the end of the year, maybe 20% of those profits uh, get returned uh, to the um, to the customers based on how much they spent at the store, and maybe the rest gets invested back into the business to to you know develop a new product line or something like that. So those decisions right. have to be made within the company, you know, according to um, uh, what makes sense for the for the company and for its members. But the goal is really to make sure that the company, above all, is serving the needs of the people who are using it. Um, whether that means keeping their costs lower than they might otherwise be, or um, or making sure they have a stable income, uh, a stable job, it really varies depending on the nature of the business. So, for instance, green taxi, um, a regular taxi or Uber driver would get, you know, X per ride, 
and they make uh, 500 a week, let's say. Hmm. A green taxi driver, they would they would be the same, but what, they might get profit sharing at the end of the year, or what other compensation well, models have you seen that are common? In, in the case of green taxi, their real, their real impulse is to reduce the cut that's being taken by administration, right? And, and, and a lot of companies actually, and, and employees, are paying a tax, uh, uh, sometimes quite a steep tax, uh, to their investors, uh, to the owners who need to live in a nice house and pay themselves a really nice salary. Right. And for these drivers, they don't have to pay that tax. They've figured out that, hey, we can run this business. We know enough about this business uh, to run it for ourselves without paying a big upfront investor because we can all pool the investment together. So we don't need to pay a tax on that investment uh, and we can hire our own managers uh, including people you know who we know very well, we can do this at a lower cost than um, than the the companies around them are doing, or uh, the cost that Uber has to um, ha- has to charge. And so they're able to get more per ride in that case. Um, in other cases, you know, it might be that um, uh, uh, you know they're 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 getting paid the same amount, and then they get a kickback at the end of the year. Sometimes the value in a in a cooperative is really just in the quality of the product. You know, sometimes uh, it, it's just a way of ensuring that the product you're getting is is really good and pure, um, but you're paying the same amount. So it's really kind of up to the the cooperative members to decide. You know, what's our priority here? Another question that comes up here with online platforms is that of privacy and security. You know, we, we have a very kind of strange deal with the devil that we've set up here with uh, platforms like Google and Facebook, where, where, where our deal is we'll give you all the data about our lives, our emails, our, uh, our, our friend networks, our professional information, all sorts of stuff right. we're feeding into those platforms. Um, and, you know, we'll kind of – and then in return, we'll get these nice services uh, uh, that, that – um, uh, that all the advertising from this data is funding, and we'll just kind of assume that you won't do something really, really evil with it, right? You know, going back to that old Google slogan, "Don't be evil." Um, right. That's a that's a pretty rough deal. That's a pretty risky deal to 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 make, and that's it highlights, I think, the reason why. Um, as we become more and more dependent on online platforms, it's going to become a whole lot more important. I hope people start to recognize how important it is um, that we uh, ensure that these platforms really are accountable to the people who are feeding their personal data into them. Thanks, Sam. Well, we've, yeah, before we move on to the data issue, um, I'll just go back to green tax again. So this is an example you gave. So the so it does have managers, it does have people that run the organization, but, and I would guess they, they're definitely paid more than the regular taxi drivers for doing so, but are their salaries capped? Is it just agreed upon that they'll have a higher salary but not that much higher? Or how, do, uh, how does it shake out where people perceive, okay, you know, you're the manager, so you're paid more, but not that much more? Yeah, it's 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 a it depends based on the uh, on a kind of case by case basis. Um, generally, what um, cooperatives online and off have tended to do is um, is do pretty much what you've described, which is um, pay people at variable rates with a recognition that. Um, some skills are more interchangeable than others, uh, and when you're dealing with a, a position that 
a pretty small number of people are equipped to do, you're, you might need to pay them more um, in order to get that talent. Um, but but co-ops will normally put a cap on that. So um, uh, sometimes that cap could be, you know, three to one, four to one. Um, uh, pretty much any cap is going to result in something fairer than, than what we tend to see in terms of executive salaries uh, uh, and uh, uh, investor-owned sector, uh, especially at, at higher-level companies. And, um, and, and co-op managers tend to... Um, can tend to take that in stride. You know, recently when I was at the International Summit of Cooperatives, a big um, international conference of um, you know cooperative executives from around the world, you know, it was people were living pretty large, right? You know, but these credit union uh, executives are just used to the idea that okay, they're going to make you know fifty thousand or five hundred thousand to a million dollars a year maybe, you know, totally at the top of their game, rather than their peers in investment banking who are making multiple, multiple millions. You know, so and there is a recognition that okay, they get to go to these conferences and say they're doing a good thing for the world and 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 to be part of this this uh uh, uh democratic economy uh, uh rather than being in a kind of rat race where everybody's just trying to get uh, as much money as possible. So there's there's a little bit of a um, uh, a trade-off there that tends to happen with cooperatives, but it doesn't mean that people can't make a good living, can't do quite well for themselves. You know, the dinners at this conference were pretty darn fancy. Uh, it was about the fanciest conference I've ever been to, uh, uh, yeah. uh, while at the same time uh, not entering into that kind of uh, uh, you know, space of of um, ceilingless um, executive uh, uh, compensation that tends to dominate uh, around other business models. Do you think that people have that reasonableness in their head, like you do, about these organizations, or do you know do they tend to have uh, a lot of strife, or people are okay if you do better than them, just not that much better, well, or you know, compensated more, just not it, that much more. You know, there's this idea that we have that if we're not paying people zillions and zillions and zillions of dollars uh, at every turn, they're not going to do anything. Um, you know, when I when I work with entrepreneurs, I see something very different um, at play. You know, I think people have really reasonable recognition that um, you know somebody who's starting a business or leading a business, taking a lot of risk, making a lot of other sacrifices in their lives. Um, uh, putting a lot on the line to take this responsibility, you know, that there should be some, some compensation that goes with that. But often what I, what I tend to see is that, is that, is that leaders who, who are making tons and tons of money, that often actually comes at the expense of losing something that they actually value more uh, uh, in themselves. And, and that's why I think the example of, of Brianna Wetlaufer of uh, Stocks United is really interesting. You know, she went from, from a really big dominant investor-owned company to create one of her, uh, a company of her own that um, would be kind of intentionally smaller so that they could maintain this democratic uh, uh, practice. And, um, and, and, you know, I, I think that actually fits the entrepreneurial mindset um, better than what we tend to see. I think a lot of really great, brilliant entrepreneurs are getting bought off by, by investors. 
um, uh, who who are who are buying their baby, you know, buying their amazing idea, um, their you know their their Twitter or their Oculus Rift, you know, giving them tons and tons of money and saying, you know, let us handle this from for now on. You know, I think there's actually a, a proposition for for entrepreneurs that could be actually better for the entrepreneurial spirit, which is which is get a fair reward, you know, get a good you know buyout payoff. Um, but do it by selling that product to the people who love it rather than the people who just want to make as much money as possible off of it. You know, and that's, and, 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 you know, for instance, there's a, there's a um, solar uh, installation company in my town in, in Boulder, Colorado called Namaste Solar. It's a, uh, you know, they install, install solar panels. Um, it, it is now a worker cooperative owned by about 150 worker owners. It, it didn't start that way. It was started by, you know, entrepreneurs who took a lot of risk to get the thing going. And ultimately, they made a transition once the thing got up and running and they sold the company to their to their employees. So those founders, you know, got a good return. You know, they none of those employees did as well as those founders, and, and rightly so, because those founders put in a lot of risk. Um, but those founders also get the benefit of knowing that now the company they created is in the hands of people who really love it and care about it. Mm, that makes sense. So you're snipping off the top of the pyramid, you know, the, the uppermost level, but still keeping most of it. Well, I guess just for a real way, simple yeah. analogy. Yeah. Uh, well, you're changing the calculus a little bit, and and you're recognizing that you know, uh, uh, you're recognizing what what actually common sense uh, means for for business. You know, we have a, a an economy that's run by you know a, run by people who happen to have a lot of money, which is a pretty small chunk of people. If you create you know, real democracy inside uh, a business environment, actually a lot of really reasonable ideas come through. You know, for instance, the idea that you need to pay, you know, uh, highly skilled people a bit more than you would pay other people, but maybe not tons and tons and tons and tons more. You know, these ideas come up naturally in the process of of trying to run uh, a democratic business. And and I think uh, we we have a real opportunity to... um, uh, to bring that democracy into the online economy and to to see what might come of that um, and and you know this this involves recognizing the ways in which distinctive kinds of businesses uh, might emerge that we might not otherwise see and and that 's why some of our early partners when we started talking about platform cooperativism were actually some of those people at the top some of those top um, uh, 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 investors who have been in the game for a while and who recognize that the that the kind of standard VC model of high risk um, investment for uh, 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 f- in the hope of an occasional unicorn is not necessarily the most sustainable model, and that actually it would be a good idea for them to get into um, uh, lower risk models uh, uh, that can b- build sustainable growth, that distribute the risk more widely, and that it's actually in their interest uh, to see some of those kinds of companies get going. Uh, and and, and that those okay. companies might be able to do things that the unicorns uh, haven't been able to do. You know, all these, uh, so many of these platforms, the Facebooks, the Twitters, the, the um, Googles, you know, it's kind of sad. They do such amazing stuff, but they're all built on a really crappy advertising business model that um, that's kind of running the Internet into the ground. 
uh, it would be amazing to see more diversity emerge in terms of how these things are financed and owned. How about the um, the economics of these um, worker-owned companies? Are they still profitable? Do they still do well? Or is it, I mean, how much, I know psychological benefit, it's nice not to have a, you know, an overlord that makes a hundred times what everyone else makes and seems to, seems to do no work. But um, economically, do they perform better than um, these real top-heavy corporations or are they just about the same or do they do worse? What have you seen? Well, it, 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 this is a, a, a tough question to answer statistically. Uh, the research is it's, a, it's, it's sometimes hard to compare the kind of apples to oranges um, types of uh, uh, models here, but but um, there appears to be pretty good evidence that at least in, in online or in offline economies where we have a lot longer track record to work with, that cooperatively owned businesses are much less likely to fail uh, uh, than than other kinds of businesses because they have that broad sharing of the risk. Uh, a lot more people are invested in ensuring the success of the business and in making sure that the business works well for them. Um, and, and co-ops often also tend to measure their profits differently because they're designed to serve their members and to pr- and to provide certain needs. Um, they tend to run at a kind of lower profit model um, uh, uh, and, and making up for that by reducing the costs. So, for instance, when you look at, you know, the, in the United States, um, uh, the largest sectors uh, for, for cooperatives are credit unions and agriculture um, and, and also rural electric companies. So um, rural electric companies, for instance, uh, which power 75% of the landmass of the United States, you know, that were built in the 30s, 40s, uh, that period um, when investor-owned companies just wouldn't go to farm areas, you know, like the farm that my grandfather grew up on in Colorado. Right. And, um, and those companies are designed, you know, uh, uh, you know, their success is the fact that they were able to power all of this land and provide affordable electricity, but they're set up in a kind of nonprofit model. So, so their actual on-paper profits are not as high as, a, as an investor-owned company whose job is to, is to furnish profits to its investors, right? So, so the measure is different. The success, I think, is really considerable. And, and when you look at certain indus- industries in the United States, like um, uh, small hardware businesses, um, uh, 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 small f- uh, farmers, uh, uh, organic food. A lot of these industries really wouldn't exist anymore or at all uh, without uh, the cooperative business model, which reduces the costs that enables those small players to participate in a global market. So, um, so, so uh, in terms of competitive in competitiveness around the world, co-ops have enabled certain kinds of businesses to happen uh, uh, that otherwise couldn't and to compete uh, really effectively in global markets uh, in terms of in terms of profits that's going to vary but you know I'm I'm having conversations with you know co-ops around the world that have billions of dollars sitting around actually and are trying to figure out what to do with it trying to figure out how to in, how to get involved in the in the online economy that they've been kind of slow to move toward uh, so so this is not a um, uh, uh, you know, this is not running on the cheap, uh, uh, but but the the, okay. the the accounting is a little different. Well, you know, what's interesting is, yeah, traditionally, companies are measured um, 
with bottom line profit, but that bottom line profit includes all the salaries. You know, that's just like a line item, you know, a cost of workers. But these companies would have different metrics because you could say, well, maybe the company makes no extra profit, but on average, its workers um, enjoy a much better standard of living than company B that it's compared to that has a lot more profits to the top, but the workers make far less. So I see why you say it's apples to oranges. You know, what's the goal? Is it, you know, what's success? Is success to have a company that throws off, you know, 20 million a year or is success to have a company that has, you know, 10,000 workers that are all doing well and living and having families and, and making quote unquote enough and are happy. Yeah, no, that's right. And and also it's, you know, it has, you can measure in terms of cash flow. You can measure uh, in terms of, of influence and the, the role uh, that they play. Uh, you know, for instance, you know, one can consider um, uh, a life insurance business. Uh, in, in life insurance, a lot of the top companies, you know, uh, Northwestern and, and uh, Nationwide are actually mutual companies. They're, they're not owned by outside investors. They're owned by their by their um, by their policyholders, um, and this you know dates back to 100 years or more ago when when um, the insurance industry is really built in this way, um, and and it turns out that that's a really good way to run certain kind of insurance models because um, uh, uh, be that accountability to the users actually results in a higher level of service that's hard to compete with when you have when you're really accountable to um, to uh, uh, to investors uh, who are who who have interests at odds with those of the policyholders, it results, you know, in a in a in really a less competitive company. And and when you look at the internet too, there are some inklings of this as well. Um, you know, a, a platform like Wikipedia, which is absolutely vital to the structure of the internet. You know, Google, for all of its its wealth and power, really depends on Wikipedia uh, in evaluating the um, search rankings. Wikipedia really has to exist the way it does as a kind of um, democratically organized nonprofit um, because otherwise it would lose credibility. It's, it's, it's credibility, which is its value proposition, is built in, is, is based on um, its, uh, its, its ownership model and its structure and its governance. Um, and, and I think what we would see if we continue to develop more of these democratically owned online businesses is we'd start to see kinds of business models and kinds of services that, um, uh, uh, that, that, that we haven't been able to develop as easily under the current regime. And, and, you know, I've been thinking a lot about Associated Press, you know, which is a, a cooperative founded in 1846 as a co-op of, of uh, news organizations and and you know AP is you know it's kind of boring and kind of kind of uh, uh, you know it, its oddities page is kind of a joke you know full of stories about dogs getting caught in trees and things like that you know it's kind of quaint in this funny way but in at a yeah. moment of intense media polarization where all the you know where, where it seems like the the um, uh, news organizations are getting less and less trustworthy, doing less and less of their own reporting. Associated Press has kind of held this center, um, and, and, and that's rooted in the company's business model, that it has to please this broad variety of, of, of uh, uh, market participants. So, so, you know, 
this kind of cooperative model isn't just about, you know, being nice and, and um, you know, setting something up that's a little fairer. It's actually about creating niches, or it's, it's also about creating niches in markets that aren't possible unless you uh, get there by democracy, uh, that, that you really can't do any other way. Can you give me a few more examples? Because I think it's really fascinating. I just think it would help people to uh, to hear more examples of it. Absolutely. So, um, and you can look at a, uh, even more at a, a platform I've been working to build with folks around the world called the Internet of Ownership. It's just a directory of the stuff that's out there. It's at ioo.coop. Uh, C-O-O-P, which is the, the top-level domain for the, for the co-op sector uh, around the world. And, um, uh, you know, w- one example that's, that's um, uh, gotten me really uh, uh, curious lately is, a, is around data. You know, I mentioned some of these problems about data earlier, but there's a company, for instance, in, in Switzerland uh, called Midata, M-I-D-A-T-A dot co-op. And they're, they're um, betting that that um, there's there's unlocked value in um, medical data, and and really specifically around trust around medical data, you know that's such personal, uh, such sensitive information uh, uh, that a lot of us you know might be a little cautious about just handing over to Google will, willy nilly under their current terms of of service, uh, which you know could change at any time or whatever. Um, Midata is banking on the idea that people really want a trustworthy place um, to store and manage their uh, data, especially around something like like medical data. And so they've built a a platform designed to do that, um, designed to give people the capacity to uh, choose who gets to see their data, but also the the capacity to... um, uh, to to um, uh, monetize that data by allowing it to be used as a pool uh, for research, uh, and so I, I think that as we move into the age of big data and and of the artificial intelligence that that enables, I think uh, examples like this demonstrate how a different kind of business model could underlie it than what we're currently looking at. Um, you know, there are a range of there are a range of other examples. You know, another another one that I experience a lot is a um, I, you know, I'm a member of an organization called uh, May First. It, it was started up um, by activists who, you know, were doing, you know, subversive political work and wanted a secure place to store their websites and their and their and their data. And um, I use this. I've, I've been really working on this, and and I've ended up using uh, their tools, uh, which are all open source tools that they just happen to manage, to replace a lot of my personal cloud. Uh, services. So, for instance, my calendars and my contacts and my um, uh, file sharing and, and uh, 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 e- even video conferencing, a bunch of stuff that we do on the cloud is actually now possible to do using open source uh, software um, uh, and, and, uh, and a, a web server. And I could host it myself, but I'm a pretty crappy administrator. Um, I would do a bad job. Um, it, it helps a lot to be able to pool those resources in a, you know, in an organization, but one that's small enough that you can really trust uh, what they're doing with that, how they're managing it, um, and that they're really accountable to you uh, rather than to their investors. So I've found that I've been able to really detach myself from a lot of the um, the big uh, uh, cloud-based personal tools uh, using this combination of a um, of a, a medium-sized uh, 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 
cooperative organization running uh, open source tools. Um, and that, that kind of uh, bodes well for the possibility of a kind of distributed cloud model rather than this world in which we're all dependent on the Amazon and the Google and the Facebook to manage our entire cloud lives uh, and, and really in turn our entire lives to instead yeah. imagine an, uh, a system of, of much more distributed clouds um, uh, that are built on, on trust relationships and real accountability to their users. Interesting. So, hmm. yeah, it's true. I mean, the big companies, Google, Facebook, et cetera, it seems when they get to a certain point, they start to get abusive. And they, um, it feels like they almost turn on their users and, and exploit them, you know? It, it's unfortunate because, you know, I think a lot of the people in those companies really are not, you know, th that would be the last thing they, they want to do. And I hear this a lot. You know, I, I, I've been involved in this funny campaign to, to imagine what it would look like for Twitter users to buy Twitter. You know, w when all the conversation was, was out about whether Twitter would get bought by Disney or Salesforce or whatever, you know, I, I wrote an article in The Guardian suggesting, hey, you know, what if, what if Twitter users were to buy it? You know, it's a lot of money, but, but um, you know, just imagine that for a moment. And, um, you know, and so and, and a bunch of people actually got so excited about that that they've been organizing to try to do it. And we now have a proposal in the Twitter Ooh. shareholder meeting to consider this. And um, uh, uh, and a few weeks ago, I was in New York, and a guy came up to me who said, "You know, I, I was the first uh, engineer that Twitter hired. You know, I was there right at the beginning. That at symbol in front Ooh. of your username. That that you know, I I chose that. Uh, and he said." you know, I, I saw your Buy Twitter campaign, and I really like it. That's actually closer to the spirit of what we were trying to do when we started Twitter than what has ended up happening. You know, that's what we wanted to be able to do. He told me about yeah. how he had actually built um, uh, uh, the software to make Twitter a, a federated network, you know, so that it could be more decentralized. It wouldn't have to rely on this kind of central server model. And... Um, yeah. You know, and, and he said, well, we went to our investors, and they said, no, we, that doesn't work for our model, right? So this was not a technical problem. This was not a question of what, of what the techies can and can't do. It was a question of, of the imagination of the investors and the control of the investors. You know, but what if we? What if Twitter at that point had had other options? What if there, there were, um, uh, uh, you know, accelerators that they could go to, uh, where where um, a, a model was available to them, where they'd get some up, upfront financing and they'd build, you know, through ownership of their users or some other kind of um, uh, uh, appropriate ownership model. It would enable them to actually use different technology. Uh, and and, yeah. and we you know we're, we're seeing that again and again uh, in the online economy where the the problem isn't the technology the problem is our economic technology the limits of our of our economic um, uh, uh, tools at hand um, or actually just those mm. tools we're willing to reach for so you know one thing I'm really trying to do now is set up collaborations between um, the uh, co-op capital you know like credit unions and large cooperative banks. Uh, you know, that fund big, you know, things like power plants for co-op utilities and that sort of thing, and see if we can partner them with some of the know-how in the tech accelerator community uh, so that we can give just, 
you know, it's not about smashing, you know, capitalism, whether or not you're into that sort of thing. It's about giving people options, you know, so that if a, a smart person with an awesome idea wants to make that idea real, you know, they, they, they have the, the chance to consider going down a path, uh, you know, where, where the, the real beneficiaries of that, of that uh, idea are the people who love it just as much as they do. How, how would you contrast this to the, um, the formation of unions and the cancer that they've evolved into? Why did they go bad? It's, I, I, in my opinion, at least. I mean, well, it's it's a really why would this not happen? It's a really interesting history. Um, for most of the history of um, of unions around the world, and especially in the United States. They, they were actually bound very closely to cooperative arrangements. So, for instance, the national trades unions before the Civil War and the, the Knights of Labor, which was for a period after the Civil War, the, the major labor union, um, uh, had cooperative business models um, built into how they operated. Uh, uh, you know, the, the um, uh, Terence Powderly, who in the 1880s was the head of the, the uh, Knights of Labor, was actually much less interested in stuff like strikes than he was in building cooperatives, both stores where the workers could get goods more affordably and also, you know, worker-owned businesses. And, and they would often, you know, if they went on strike, they would form a cooperative so they could keep working and keep making a livelihood uh, while they weren't getting paid uh, 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 by their boss. And um, so actually the history of unions and um, and co-ops is bound together, and and some of our our major supporters in this in this effort now are actually unions that have recognized um, that uh, they they need a new business model. And so, for instance, Green Taxi um, is, wasn't uh, it, it's been supported all along by the um, uh, Communication Workers of America. Their offices in the union hall, um, you know, they, it was really driven by these these so to speak, by these drivers, not the union, but the union has been a supporter and they're, they're all union members. So, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I might be a little more um, uh, 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 positive toward unions uh, than, than you are, but I, I, I think that if you could say they went wrong, I think, you know, it kind of ironically, one of the ways in which they went wrong is when they became established, they became part of the system, you know, with the, the National Labor Relations Act in the late 30s, you know, they became part of a system that kind of um, uh, 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 trapped them into uh, a dynamic relationship with, you know, the capital holders, with the, the investor-owned companies, and that became their business model. And they lost this idea that you could actually, um, you, know, you know, that really the idea, the, the hope was to build a more democratic economy. Uh, right. And so that now that, that that 20th century union business model has really fallen apart, we're seeing a lot of these unions starting to turn back to cooperatives and kind of reclaim their own history and their own heritage uh, 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 and, and do things like set up, you know, online platforms where, where um, you know, Walmart workers can organize uh, and, and fight for better wages or or uh, even bypassing altogether where, you know, SEIU out in, in California is is working with a group of nurses to set up a, a platform so that they're not dependent on hospitals anymore. They have their own cooperative uh, marketplace uh, through an app. So, uh, so that, that's, it's a really exciting kind of um, return, I think, uh, where these unions are recognizing, are, are kind of reconnecting with um, with their original values uh, uh, through the cooperative model. 
Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is where do co- where do co-ops go wrong? You know, what's the downside? And it seems like the downside is that they turn into a union, what a union looks like today. Well, they, which seems you know, just there are as a lot of downsides. As, uh, you know, the, the downsides of co- of cooperation are as plentiful as you know the downsides of human nature. You know, it's it's um, uh, they're all over the place, and and you know, really a lot of the um, a, a lot of the problems with with uh, co-ops today kind of come down to the fact that they're that they try to stop being co-ops. You know, for instance, you know, I'm, I'm working on a story, unfortunately, about uh, some of these electric co-ops in the in the rural South and in in the Black Belt, uh, where um, you know where the, these co-ops have become bastions of segregation uh, uh, because they've they've um, uh, rigged their bylaws in such a way to prevent democracy from actually taking place. Uh, and, and you know, you find that actually the the electric co-ops that are really practicing democracy are the ones that are you know installing rural b- broadband and and pioneering with with renewable energy uh, technologies and and doing all the right stuff. Um, often, you know, not uh, often. What tends to go wrong with co-ops is they is they is they forget what they're really all about. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. How do these co-ops go wrong? Is it you know, some of the people in the co-op decide that they like the other top-down model and they want to modify it so that it, it favors them and and keeps them in power and, and starts to distance them from everyone else in the co-op. Yeah, no, it, it it can be a real it can be a real problem. You know, you introduce democracy and and you you, you don't always like what you get, and and, and that's. Um, you know, it's part of the adventure. I, I think there's there's also a sense where you you let somebody else run your life for you, and you're not necessarily going to like what you get there either. Um, yeah, uh, uh, but but it's it's you know, so it cuts all sorts of ways. Uh, that that's that's human nature at work. Um, uh, but but you know, I, another another if you're if you're going to be honest, you know, another real challenge is is a um, you know, we we live in a system that's really been designed for investor-owned companies. You know, we've 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 built an economy just as the unions built themselves up to be to to interface with with you know large capital holders. You know, we we've, we've ended up building an economy um, uh, that's designed to serve um, investors and 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 those who happen to have a lot of wealth. Um, and and um, uh, and. and you know, so, so so you have cities, for instance, creating massive incentives for outside companies to come in and create a few jobs for a little while, rather than investing yeah. in in companies that would stay there by necessity because they're um, you know because they're rooted there. You know, and in this last election cycle, there was so much talk about you know factories getting shut down and and jobs being moved off to Mexico and that sort of thing on both sides of the aisle. Um, nobody talked about, for instance, uh, the the workers who I've gone to visit at at um, New Era Windows, a, a factory in in Chicago that was being shut down by its owner, and the workers actually just mm. occupied it and ended up buying it from the owner and are running it now on their own. You know, that's a way to keep jobs in the community, uh, and uh, uh, and. Uh, it's a challenge, though. It requires building the the, the um, systems to support it, and and we don't have those systems real well. So now it's hard to finance co-ops. It's not as easy as financing other kinds of businesses. Um, 
but that can change if we if we let it you know when when it was necessary when the you know when the government for instance got involved in supporting um, rural electric co-ops you know a whole ecosystem of finance got built up so there now there's a company uh, here in Colorado called CoBank uh, that funds you know these big co-op electric projects all over the uh, all over the um, country um, you know, it, the bank itself is a cooperative. It's designed to finance cooperatives. It's totally set up to provide for the capital needs of this kind of business model. Um, and uh, uh, and it, it arose because people recognized the need. And I, I think we can solve a lot of these, these challenges that co-ops face in the current environment, um, you know, if we recognize the value of this kind of model. Okay. Well, this is, this is really interesting stuff. I mean, I feel like we could talk for a long time. Um, to sum it up, what are some resources that interested listeners can look at, watch, et cetera, to help them learn more about platform cooperativism and the work you do and to see if this is maybe something that will inspire them to create their own co-op? Great. Well, um, I, I really uh, recommend, if I if I may, the, a new book that uh, I just co-edited with my colleague Trevor Schultz. It's called Ours to Hack and to Own. Uh, the rise of platform cooperativism, and it's got that subtitle prattles on. Uh, but ours to hack and to own uh, is is a collection of about 60 contributors, including entrepreneurs, um, leading scholars, um, policymakers, all sorts of people who are involved in this movement and who are helping to build it. It also profiles a whole bunch of companies uh, uh, that are that are doing just this. Um, uh, and uh, in in the voices of the companies themselves, and um, okay. you can also look online at platform.coop. Uh, you know, that has videos from our conferences, and then at ioo.coop, uh, the Internet of Ownership, which is a, a directory of all these uh, platforms and this ecosystem that's forming right now. Well, this is an unexpected uh, and you know, and great topic. So I, I really appreciate what you have to say, Nathan. Well, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to hear me out. And, and uh, you know, I hope uh, to hear from your listeners and, and wish you all the best. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. 